speak to you in the name of our one God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. So a clergy friend of mine here in the diocese recently told me the story of when he served as chaplain at a VA hospital uh, during seminary when he, as part of his training. He encountered a woman there who was very distraught. She was stressed and she was upset, very tense and very sad. And she told him that she had never heard the voice of God. She kept listening and listening, but she wasn't able to hear God's voice. My friend asked, you mean like in your heart or your conscience or in a gathering when someone else speaks? And she said, oh no, 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 God's voice. The literal voice is what she was hoping to hear. Now, I don't know if she wanted Southern or Australian or you know, what she had in mind, male, female. But no, she thought she was supposed to hear this voice because her sister could. And her sister could hear it loud and clear, and why couldn't she? And as she listened to the preachers on the TV at the VA hospital, they told her that she just had to believe more. She needed to believe more, read more scripture, and be a better person, and she'd be saved which she understood as hearing God's voice. So she tried to do all those things, especially the believing more part, because that's where she thought she was failing and falling down. But in the midst of all this effort and certainty about what she thought she should be doing and hearing, she forgot to step back and wonder, and wonder about God. Now, our gospel reading today might have been one of the sources of this woman's distress. Jesus is interacting with questions from the Jewish leaders, and it's a pretty aggressive exchange. And the context is so important for this dialogue on several levels. And I hate to tell you, this isn't going to be one of those warm and fuzzy sermons about sheep. It's not going to happen. Because this scene is tense. It's tense, first off, because it occurs on the day of the Feast of the Dedication, which is what we know today or we call today as Hanukkah. And this celebrated when the Jewish rebels, led by Judas Maccabeus, liberated the Temple of Jerusalem in 165 BCE. Liberated the temple from the Syrian king who had desecrated the temple by putting a statue of Zeus in it. Now, in Jesus' time, there was a fear that he and his followers were a similar political threat to the Roman Empire that was occupying Jerusalem, and also fear that he was a threat to the Jewish leaders who were opposed to Jesus. So the authorities are all on high alert at this Hanukkah anniversary, and these Jewish leaders on the ground are in attack mode, operation mode. They're not in wondering mode. This interaction between Jesus and the leaders gets even more tense because when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me, he is speaking into a deep Jewish tradition. In Ezekiel, there is a reference to the wicked shepherds of Israel who are not taking care of God's sheep. God promises through the prophet Ezekiel that God is, God is the Israelites' shepherd, gathering God's sheep and protecting them. And this is what we heard in Psalm 23. We just sang a version of that. And elsewhere throughout the Hebrew Bible, God as the shepherd. And so Jesus is the embodiment of God as our good shepherd. 
And that leaves the Jewish leaders as the embodiment of the wicked shepherds in Ezekiel. So when Jesus says the Father and I are one, he isn't making a Trinitarian statement. That's not what the author of the Gospel of John was doing. He's telling us that God and Jesus have a unified purpose, one purpose, to love and care for and protect and save God's people. In other words, to shepherd them as a good shepherd would, take care of his sheep. So this is true in both the Christian faith and in the Jewish faith. But still, as he's using this language about shepherds and shepherding, there is no wondering in this scene about what it might mean for God and now Jesus to be our shepherd. And that's because Jesus is portrayed here as angry. And this is where I want you all to start wondering. Because I have been wondering about this a lot since we read the Passion reading from the Gospel of John on Good Friday. The author of John depicts Jesus, who is a Jew, talking about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. You may have picked up on this. He talks about them as a monolithic group in a rather angry tone throughout the Gospel. Context is so important here. John was a Jew writing to a Jewish community of Jesus' followers during the late first century after Jesus lived. The temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans in 70, around 70 common era after Jesus lived, and Jewish worship had moved out of the temple, of course, and now into synagogues. And then John's community was expelled, expelled from the synagogue because they weren't the right kind of Jew. They followed Jesus. And they were angry about this rejection and powerless against the synagogue authorities. And out of this anger, the author of John writes his gospel. And in it, he reminds his Jews that God has chosen them to follow Jesus. And they need to hold fast to what they believe or else they will be overrun by the leaders of the synagogue, i.e. the Jews as referred to throughout the gospel. This is an intra-Jewish fight, and it comes through Jesus' voice and interactions in this gospel. Sadly, though, Christians have taken language in John, as well as in the gospel of Matthew, and used it to justify discrimination and violence against Jewish people throughout the years, as early as the 400 CE in the medieval era. And as recently as January of this year, a British man held four hostages in a synagogue in Texas and quoted verses from John chapter 8. Yet, this is the same gospel that tells us that there are other sheep not in Jesus' fold that are still sheep of God. And this is the same gospel that tells us that our God is the God of love, not the God of violence and discrimination and we forget it at our peril. When we forget to wonder about what these words in this context mean for us, we may miss a key underlying tension between what is God's initiative in our faith and what is our responsibility for our faith. Because when we start hearing the words only on the surface and we get a sense of this anger and tension, we lose this underlying thread. 
Jesus says, I have told you and you do not believe. That implies a choice. You choose not to believe the works that you see Jesus do and what you hear him say. But then Jesus also says, you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. That sounds like some are fortunate enough to belong and it's not up to them, but it's up to God. So which is it? It's at the root of the anger in some sense that, gospel, that John is projecting onto the voice of Jesus in this particular scene against the Jewish leaders. And there have been theological debates about this for thousands of years. On one side, some argue for soul election by God, and on the other side, you have extreme free will that God gave us. This theological arguing by Calvin and Luther and Pelagius and Arminius, that doesn't really resolve the tension. And then maybe that's revealing. Maybe that's so we can learn to sit with the tension, learn to ask better questions, and learn to wonder about God. I am naming these tensions and difficulties with this scripture to invite you to be curious, to invite you to wonder about what it all means. I invite you to wonder whether God elects us or whether we choose to have faith or whether there is a middle ground in which God moves towards us and asks us only that we move towards God. Think of how this kind of different reading would have helped the woman in my colleague's story to know that perhaps when she simply asked the question, asked the question, can I hear God's voice, or said, I want to hear God's voice, asking that for that was actually God reaching out to her. And indeed, perhaps she could have known that hearing God's voice was actually to hear her own voice in those moments. Think of how transformative that would have been in her life to think that there was another way to understand a passage like this. I invite you also to wonder about how the context of this passage is really important for our relationships with our Jewish brothers and sisters and how they claim God as their shepherd and how this shepherding role is one that God and Jesus share. And I invite you to think hard about why we stop wondering about God and texts like these. Perhaps we think we know what we need to know. Perhaps we think that all it takes, like the synagogue leaders say, is for Jesus to tell us plainly, when perhaps it cannot be told plainly. Jesus even says as much here when he says that what he does testifies to who he is. Not what he says, but what he does. Let us wonder about the limits of words and the importance of the experience of Jesus. The woman in the VA hospital was experiencing the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, in my colleague's voice as he cared for her and pastored to her and raised these other options for her, but she actually didn't know it. She forgot to ask what God was already doing, or maybe nobody told her she could ask that, and she only wanted to hear it described plainly with words and with God's voice, and in God's voice. She had stopped wondering about God. So yes, listen for God's voice, and also read scripture, and look for God acting in the world as our good shepherd. But please, ask questions, and wonder, for it is in the questioning and wondering that we may most clearly hear 
the voice of the one God who loves us and cares for us as sheep in, God, in Jesus' fold. Amen.